Good evening and welcome to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Today's date is September the 1st. We're into a new month here. I swear this year has gone by so fast and I just can't wait to get it over with. Actually, I can't wait to get this coronavirus pandemic over with. And I hope you all are out there protecting yourselves, masking up. I know there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy in the community, but I suggest you do your research. And one of those sources of information that you may want to take a look at is blackdoctors.org that's blackdoctors.org they do facebook lives and you they have a youtube channel and they're sharing the science and the facts these real doctors who are very concerned about the black community as it relates to this pandemic but on this program we're not talking about the pandemic but we are going to talk about racism and banking Banks continue racist redlining practices despite their pledges. So we will be speaking with here in just a minute. Uh, we will speak with Wanda Silva, Vice President of Mayor Strategies. She previously worked for the state of New Jersey, served as press secretary at the Bronxboro President's Office under Bronxboro President Ruben Diaz Jr. and was a journalist with Univision and Telemundo. She'll be joining us to shed some light on the issues of redlining and other banking industry practices that she says has left blacks, Latinos, and immigrants without the financial tools necessary to progress financially. Systemic racism in the banking industry. Now, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd by the convicted killer and former cop, Derek Chauvin, which has caused a new wave of mass protests against police brutalities. Many corporations, including banks, announced a slew of quote-unquote woke policies to play their part in the elimination of systemic racism. Are these banks and financial institutions doing enough? Not according to our guest tonight, Wanda Silva, who I want to go ahead and get her mic open up and get her on Black Talk Radio News. Miss Silva, do we have you on? Yes, thank you for having me and for the opportunity to shine light on the issues uh, that are affecting our communities. Yes, and, and certainly thank you for reaching out um, on this very important topic. It's a topic that has come up quite a bit, and it is one of personal interest to me because I know it relates to the financial wealth gap, so to speak. And, you know, somebody pointed out to me that I'm in a minority when it comes to black families. Um, my black family is one of less than 2% of African-American families that own any land. And, you know, as my regular listeners know, I'm sitting on property that's been on in my family for several generations passed down from generation to generation. But a lot of black people do not possess such a uh, property. They don't possess land, which in this country, you know, that's kind of tied to your wealth. And I got to figure that these racist redlining practices, you know, we've read about those in, in history and black farmers being denied loans. So th this is a very important topic is what I'm trying to say. Um, may I call you Wanda, Miss Silva? Please do so, yes. All right. 
So let me ask you a, um, a personal question, so to speak. Why have you taken an interest in the banking industry and how it, how it handles services for black and other non-white people? Do you have a personal connection? Have you worked in the industry? Do you know anyone that has been harmed? Why have you taken up this cause, which is much appreciated? Well, thank you. Uh, in essence, the reality is that the way the banking industry has treated blacks and Latinos is very similar. Of course, the black community historically has felt the effects of systematic racism in the banking industry for much, much longer than any other minority group. Uh, but as a TV reporter, I can tell you that I saw many minority communities throughout the country devastated by the lack of access to financial services due to the unfair redlining policies. Later on, uh, while I was working as a uh, press secretary for the Bronx Photo President, uh, Ruben Diaz Jr., I observed the same things in the Bronx that I had observed as a journalist in other parts of the country. Blacks and Latinos neighborhood are on their uh, bank. They are on the serves. What they have in common, uh, the, the Bronx and those other communities, is the redlining history and the fact that our communities are inundated with unfair informal sources of credit, such as pawn shops, card title lenders, uh, pay date lenders, and uh, small loan companies with interest rates that generally generally they go from 100% and often as much as 500% interest rate. And those are financial traps that are keeping minorities uh, down, are keeping us from building credits. Once you fall in one of those traps, it's very hard for you to build good credit. You will be indebted. And once you lose your credit, you're going to lose the ability to purchase a property just like you said a few minutes ago, which is one of the source of wealth in this country. Yes, ma'am. Now, in earlier communication with me, you state that non-white individuals are being deprived of the financial tools of the banking industry that they need to progress, that they need to build wealth. For our listeners who may not be financially, you know, as educated as you are or even I am, what are some of these tools and which tools is the most important, in your opinion, to to build that wealth and to make progress in, in this society? I think that's a very, very great question. Look, what we need is an economic structure that allows for most, uh, for most of all mobility. And we don't have that right now. We hear a lot of promises, but the changes will not come from promises. Changes will only come from policy changes. Mm-hmm. Overall, the most important tool is fair lending practices. What, that, what does that mean? Uh, that means uh, access to mortgages, access to local banks, and fair interest rates. If, if the traditional banks won't provide financial services, then we will need a policy to ensure that fintechs like algorithmic mortgage lenders or online lenders can provide these financial services so people in our communities don't stand uh, with zero credit options. We need to have those options as well. And you say that can only come through policy changes and not promises. Uh, that's, that's, that, yes, we, <laughs> you and I know our community is aware that promises come and go. Real changes have to come through policy, changes in the law. If the law is not changed, 
nobody is go- going to guarantee that it's going to happen. Now, when when laws change, when new policies come about, then everybody has to abide by those laws. So if we want real changes in the financial and banking industry, we need to make those changes at a at a federal level. Would you agree, though, you know, that, that passing new policies and laws will only be the first step? Because I feel like there are a lot of laws that's in place that are not enforced. So do you think strong enforcement and the will to enforce those those laws is important? Of course they are important. Uh, we have seen many cases, and I know that you are aware of many, many companies that that take advantage of people, that there are regulations in place, but they are not being implemented. So, yes, we need to to make sure that when there is a new law or regulation, we need to make sure that they are uh, watched, that people are taking, uh, that they are accountable for the business and for what they do and how their actions impact our communities. You know, as an African-American male, you know, I have experienced racism. I know that's probably not breaking news to anyone, but, you know, um, I don't want to say I faced a lot of racism, but I've certainly come across racism when I worked in the corporate world, whether we're talking about uh, discrimination and pay. But I want to share a personal story as it relates to banking and financial institutions. Now, I was just 30-something years old at the time. So this is about 25 25 years ago. And I belonged to a credit union through my job. I was working for Sprint PCS at the time. And and by working with them, we had, had automatic membership into this credit union. So I knew that my credit wasn't the greatest. I think I had a 500 somewhere around there. And I had started reading, you know, how to build up your credit, you know, just trying to get a handle on my finances and make sure I was making wise decisions, reading about money market accounts, things of that nature. And so I I knew that I had what was considered a low credit score. And one of the ways that I discovered that you could build upon your, your credit score or to improve it was to take out secured loans. So what I did was being a single father with custody of my of my two girls you know i would get those i would get that extra money you know on my tax returns mm-hmm. and instead of going out and spending it i would put it in my savings account so when i learned that i mm-hmm. could obtain a loan if i wanted to purchase a car which i did want to purchase a car i used it i used my money in my savings account and asked for a secured loan. Now, the first loan officer, look, I don't know what was going through her mind. I know I'm a black male. I know she was a white female. So when I go to this loan officer and I tell her, you know, I would like to take out a secured loan for $2,000, she tells me I don't qualify. She talks about my credit score and all this. And I said, wait a minute. I'm a member of, of this credit union. And this is a secured loan. And according to your policies, you can't deny me this loan because I'm securing it with my savings that I have. And so I would not go away. And I asked to see her manager or her supervisor, which was a white male. And he pulled me into his office and he told me I was exactly right. And he went to 
processing my loan. How often do you have you heard stories like that? Do you know anyone who has personally went through a situation like that? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry that you went through that. But the truth is, uh, that is a very common story uh, that I can tell you that many, many of our people go through it. First of all, because we are on the bank. To begin with, many of our people don't have bank accounts. There's a there's a large percentage of people without bank accounts, mm-hmm. and that's the first problem. Uh, the second is uh, that some of them that do have bank accounts, they have bad credit. I have heard so many stories. For instance, there is uh, this lending company, Opportune, which means in Spanish it's a shorter for Oportunidad, Opportune, based in California. They are a certified as a community development financial institution, a designation by the federal government for financial institutions that serve mainly underserved communities of color. Many of the loans that they are given to those communities, underserved communities, are loans to either pay rent, repair card, or buy a card. They they do just like you did. They put their card as a collateral or to repay another loan. Uh, this company in particular that is there to serve the community of color um, opportune, during the midst of the pandemic, they sued approximately 25,000 Latinos to ensure monetary judgment against borrowers. That is a predatory practice uh, which goes against the designation given by the federal government going back to overseeing how those businesses are treating and, and doing the work that they are designated to do, which put a burden in the low-income borrowers by adding an adverse, an adverse court case and a negative credit history in the record. So this, this, this particular company, for instance, they have done that in California. I know that they have sued thousands of people also in Texas. They have uh, pro- stores all over small um, black and Latinos neighborhoods because that's who they target. Now, um, we do need we do need uh, services other than banks to have choices and, and to have um, a market that is competing with each other for better rates. But we also have to make sure that there is regulations, that there are laws that establish how they go about doing the business because some of them, instead of helping, they are harming the community. I had myself muted. Nope. We have a thunderstorm going on here, so I had muted my mic. Uh, um, okay. So as I'm okay. sure you are aware, in 2007 and eight, we had a global financial crisis emanating from the United States in this banking sector. Now, that was bailed out by the Bush administration, started by, by that uh, previous administration to the Obama administration. And this had to do with home loans and securities gambling. Uh, the platform, I, I just want to share a little bit from this article I came across today as I was doing some research in preparation of this program. So the platform Investopedia describes it as follows. The 2007 and 8 financial crisis in review, that's the section I'm pulling this from. The financial crisis of 2007 and 8 was years in the making. By the summer of 2007, financial markets around the world were showing signs that the reckoning was overdue for a years-long binge on cheap credit. 
Two Bear Stearns hedge funds had collapsed. BNP Paribus was warning investors that they might not be able to withdraw money from two of its funds. And the British bank Northern Rock was about to seek emergency funding from the Bank of England. Yet despite the warning signs, few investors suspected that the worst crisis in nearly eight decades was about to engulf the global financial system, bringing Wall Street's giants to their knees and triggering the Great Recession. It was an epic financial and economic collapse that cost many ordinary people their jobs, their life savings, their homes, or all three. Now, some of the key key takeaways from that, and, and just a side note, you know, I listen to other programs and I've heard quite a few, you know, host uh, black hosts on their programs talking about that the greatest wealth loss in the history of the United States in the black community was from this crisis and, and losing these homes. Cause a lot, I remember the Bush administration was pushing, you know, uh, home ownership at the time. Now, some of the key, mm-hmm. key yeah. takeaways from the article, it says, Uh, Let me get back up there. The 2007-2009 financial crisis began years earlier with cheap credit and lax lending standards that fueled a housing bubble. When the bubble burst, financial institutions were left holding trillions of dollars worth of near worthless investments in subprime mortgages. Millions of American homeowners found themselves owing more on their mortgages than their homes were worth. The Great Recession that followed cost many their jobs, their savings, or their homes. And I will link in the program description uh, to this article for those listening now or will be listening later. You'll be able able to uh, find this research so you know during that time i remember that you know i remember that time and during that time many black homeowners were the subject of political attacks specifically on right-wing radio which i monitor from time to time but i remember it was even on on television and and black homeowners were the subject of these attacks for quote-unquote buying more homes than they could afford and then defaulting on those loans so they was blaming black people for the global financial crisis now do you agree with this assessment of the investopedia article and did you hear any of the chatter blaming black people for the crisis in which i have heard you know we lost more wealth than anyone at any time in u.s history well uh blaming the housing financial crisis on black uh people or any other minority is like blaming the victims bankers were giving loans to people with poor or not ready history that's a fact in grand part, the subprime mortgage crisis was caused by the deregulation. That's what happened. There was a lot of deregulation. And in 1999, the banks were allowed to act like hedge funds. Of course, there were also many people in our communities, and we have to also speak the truth, that knowingly they took too many mortgages. And once the mortgage rate went up, they could no longer afford to pay, uh, make the payments. Uh, you know, it's like that movie, the big short uh, it, that happened in, in Vegas where this three women bought all these uh, houses, uh, rental houses for vacationing. And then when the rates went up, they, they lost uh, all the property and they were involved in many issues. But that was a movie. The reality is that uh, you cannot blame the, the minorities, black or minorities, for the, the bank actions. 
Uh, but there's always going to be a scapegoat. We know that. That, that is quality. Now, what we need now is not billionaires to play nice or shady or more monopolies. What we need is a fair banking system. We need accessibility to bank services. We need fair fees. We need fair interest rates. That's what we need. Yes, ma'am. Now, in earlier communication with me, you cited discriminatory issues today when it comes to home ownership and attempts to attain loans by non-white people. Can you describe for our audience some of the statistics that you find so so troubling? I mean, is this anything new or is it just a continuation or is things getting worse? Well, I, I think and I, I like to look at things in a positive way because the reality is we are aware. We becoming aware. Uh, as a matter of fact, the the fact that we are having this conversation right now is very important for the community. But going back to the statistic, to your question, for instance, when we look at the national data, according to Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, in 2020, lenders denied mortgages for Black applicants at 80% rate higher than of those for white applicants. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau also shows major problems with racial discrimination in traditional mortgage lending. In uh, 2019, black loan applicants were denied a loan for a conventional home purchase at a rate of 16%. For Hispanic, 11.6%. Compare that with 7% for white Americans. That is twice the race. Mm. So there is a disparity. Uh, another interesting um, uh, information that I can share with you is that according to analysis, when it comes to refinances, black borrowers are denied mortgages, uh, refinance loans at an average of 30.22% of the time, far higher than overall denier, which is 17.07%. Uh, something that is important to mention uh, in terms of the statistic is that the fintech, the algorithms have been found to, to discriminate 40% less, less on average than face-to-face lenders in loan pra- uh, pricing and also does not discriminate at all in accepting and rejecting loans. And that the fact is because it's done through a computer. So there is less uh, discrimination factors than when you asking for a loan face to face like you did, uh, like in your story earlier. Yes. Uh, approximately 10 million households don't have bank accounts in in the United States, and according to multiple socioeconomic surveys, the underbank are disproportionately represented by lower income households, households headed by blacks and Hispanics, by young adults and households that rent their homes, going back again to owning a property, owning a home. Those are some of the, 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 uh, the statistics that I, can, that I can share with you. I can also share with you the fact that uh, Black and Hispanic paid a more fee uh, for banking services. Uh, for instance, when we think about um, a community that are on the bank, think about it. Most of those residents have to go and use the ATM machines, which is $3, right? $3 for a transaction. But you're not only going to pay those $3 for that transaction. You're also going to pay the 
the fee for the bank transaction. So that's like $4. So when you don't have banks around your neighborhood, you're going to have to be paying for those services. Yeah. And, and, and having a, a banks right now also require a minimum uh, funds to, to provide the services. And most of the, uh, our people are uh, working paycheck to paycheck to, uh, to meet their needs. And, uh, and we, need, we need a better banking system that can be inclusive to a working class America, regardless of where you're coming from, the color of your hair, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. We need a fair banking system. Well, I have a question that just came to me as you were, were speaking and also the phrase living hand to mouth. Um, that's a phrase we use in the black community when you live in paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. And But one of the things you brought up in terms of access, I've been reading, you know, uh, periodically this issue coming up with providing banking services through the United States Postal Service. Do, do you think that that's... A, that will help, you know, solve the problem. Because to be honest with you, when I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, which is not that far away from where I am now, but when I lived there in a couple of neighborhoods when when I was younger, I didn't really see any post offices. So, I, you know, but where I am now, I'm in a rural a predominantly white community, and we do have, you know, a town post office, and I imagine there's a town post office in all these little towns. But when I lived in Charlotte, I did not see, I cannot recall, I'm sure they had one or two, but in terms of, like, me seeing them in the neighborhoods I was living in or close to the neighborhoods, I did not notice them. But is that a, a practical solution to address the uh, issue of access, what what, is, what do you think about that? Look, I, I think that uh, it's a good idea. I think that the, the more the merrier. But the reality is, when we're talking about uh, black communities, when we're talking about communities of immigrants and Latinos, we see that there is a lack of services in many different areas. We find places that are lacking uh, supermarkets, fresh food. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the post offices are closing in some of those neighborhoods. Um, and, and But yes, uh, the, the more access we can provide to our community, regardless if it is through a library or, a, uh, or any other federal institution, the better, because like I said, we ending up paying more for fees, uh, using some alternative services, even to send money to our loved one, we pay more in, in some of those uh, small places. I mean, we are lucky here in New York because there is a cap that, that is uh, for interest rate, but that's not everywhere. Uh, there's very, very few, uh, but we need, we need more access. That's, that's yes, it's a, it's a great idea. You know, uh, also a follow-up on the statistics that you had mentioned earlier. You know, there was a story here with a local car dealership. I want to say it was a Nissan car dealership, um, but don't quote me on that. But it was a local car dealership, and they settled a case out of court with uh, black people that they had turned down for car loans who had similar credit scores to the white counterparts that were given these loans. So does that data that you were speaking of earlier, 
uh, show that? Does it show that black uh, blacks and Hispanics with similar credit scores to whites who were tainted the loans were were being denied them? Yes, definitely, and and that's when that's why it's referred as a racism because uh, we're talking about people with the same uh, the same um, credit. Uh, asking for loans and being denied. It's not about the difference on the credit score. It's about racial profiling. That That is the problem. And that's why uh, when we talk about uh, uh, FinTech, uh, it's a great alternative because it takes away the face-to-face that sometimes become a problem if you are black or Hispanic or you look different. Mm. Mm. Well, there's always the name, it, though. It is a good alternative. Uh, hmm? I was saying, but there's always the name, though, that, that might give you away. I have to be honest with people. With my name being Scotty Reed, uh, a Scott Irish-like name, that I have got my foot in the door from my resumes that if my name was something like, let's say, Jamal Jones or something that I may not have even gotten the call. They might have thrown my resume in the, in the trash. So even, you know, because what I'm think, thinking of, Wanda, is the racist um, algorithms. Like, for example, with social media, um, a lot of ways they police social media with, is with artificial intelligence, which I'm against because it deprives people of jobs. But as I had read on it, some of the experts were saying that if the programmer is racist, the programming is going to be racist too. So is that something you've given much mm-hmm. thought to in terms of this service that you're talking about where you're not doing the face-to-face? Somebody might program it to discriminate against the so-called black names or Hispanic names. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you are 100% right. Uh, but that's something, and that's, again, it goes by, by what I mentioned early on. The changes have to come through policy. Yes, because ma'am. if those are policies, if, if those issues, just like you're raising it right now, are raised when we are talking about the uh, development of the policy that are going to protect uh, minority communities of discrimination in the banking industry, those issues will be uh, talked about. Uh, again, that's why changes, changes have to come from changes in policy. Yes, that is an issue that needs to be addressed when the, the, the policy is being formulated. Mm. And that's why it's important that our community is involved in making sure that the regulations and the law uh, in, in are, are part of the conversation. We need to be part of the conversation. And speaking about being part of making, uh, making sure that the laws uh, are in favor of eliminating racism, then we also have to talk about redistricting. It's important that people get involved. It's important that people start understanding how laws uh, can affect their life in the present and in the future. Yes, ma'am. Um, I would like to take a station identification break, and if you'll just hold with us and we'll come back on the other side and and talk about some more issues as it relates to access. But you're listening to Black Talk Radio News, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short station identification. I'm not a writer. 
Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. On this topic, we're talking about banks continuing racist redlining practices despite their the Black Lives Matter um, pledges, and we are speaking with Wanda Silva, who is full of a lot of information that she's sharing with us, and so Wanda, I wanted to turn back to access to services. Now, this is something that I've long been aware of as someone who works in technology and also runs a a digital media nonprofit, um, the Digital Divide. All right. Now, for those that don't know, have never heard that phrase or that term, the digital divide is the gap that exists between people in the world who have access to computers, mobile devices and the Internet and those who do not. Now, here in the United States, the digital divide is affecting people along class lines, but disproportionately it affects black people due to the centuries long wealth divide. Other issues with banking services, uh, Wanda, that you cite is access to those services that relate to the digital divide here in the United States. Can you go further into why that's important that we address that? What are some of the policy solutions? I've heard something recently about in this new, uh, what is it, Build Back Better policy that or, or financial bill that the Democrats and the Biden administration is working on is supposed to expand you know, um, access to the internet. But again, my thing is, okay, yes, it is good to build the infrastructure out, but if the people can't afford it, we need affordable plans. A lot of people can't afford it, especially now during the pandemic. So what would you like to speak on on that issue? Well, uh, I'm so glad that you brought it up because this is a big issue for our community. Uh, especially uh, now, we, we notice how important it is for our community to have a speed access uh, to Internet services. We saw that many of our kids were not able to, uh, to get their classes uh, at home because they did not have access to Internet. It's not even the speed if it is as low or not. A lot of communities, a lot of uh, a color community don't even have a, a computer. Let's be, let's be realistic. Uh, a lot of our community don't have access to internet, and I know that um, there are some uh, local governments that are working on making sure that that is changing. Again, again, I, I have to repeat: the only way that we can see changes is by putting pressure on our uh, lawmakers. We need a better infrastructure policy. I know that in Washington they're working on it. Uh, I know that there is a huge dispute. It's politics. Uh, um, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, by our community coming together and putting pressure on the needs that, that will help us improve the lives of our people now and towards the future, we need to put pressure. That's, that's, I, I can only emphasize that changes will only come by putting pressure and making sure that they understand that we know what changes we want. 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And, and of course, that starts with getting in touch with, well, not just getting in touch, but a lot of people don't even know who their representatives might be, whether we're talking about the U.S. Congress, um, the House or the Senate, or whether we're talking about state government. It is important to know who your representatives are so that you can apply that pressure through emails, through phone calls, through going to town halls, you know, embracing the issue. Now, um, Wanda, in your communications to me, you mentioned the chatter in the banking industry and corporate America in general around social justice issues. Now, I have heard those those pledges and promises as well, and I'm very skeptical of these companies that are expressing that all of a sudden black lives matter to them. But then, you know, an issue that's near and dear to my heart, they then turn around and spend substantial sums of, of money on advertising campaigns on radio stations that promote behaviors that are detrimental to black life to include issues of misogyny towards black and brown women, the use of the N-word, um, to refer to black people, and the promotion of gun violence. So, you know, that's one of my issues about their so-called pledges and when you're dumping money into this, into what we call murder music stations. Now, what what are your thoughts on some of the chatter that you've heard concerning these financial institutions and their pledges? Well, I, I think, like... Uh there, there are many people that are doing a great job. There are people that are not, that are taking advantage of the system. We're always going to have that. Uh, I think that uh, we need to um, continue paying attention to the things that are bringing progress to our community, to people that are bringing the right message. We know that there's a lot of propaganda out there. We have to be smart. We have to be selective. We have to um, be better informed. We need to do our research so that way we know how to demand what we want and uh, pay attention to really what really matters and who are telling the truth and who's not. Yes, ma'am. Now, as I had, I'm sorry, go ahead. And that note, I also wanted to add that we need to put our money, companies, not only uh, the same things uh, that they are going to do, but with companies that are really doing things. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. Now, as a member, as I had let you know earlier, I'm a member of the New Abolitionist Movement. It's a mass movement of, as the name suggests, 21st century abolitionists against slavery here in the United States. Um, we started in 2013 and, and just have grown since. Um, still, you know, need a whole lot more abolitionists. So if y'all out there listening, you know, um, in 2013, we launched a program on Black Talk Radio Network called New Abolitionist Radio. And now there's several different programs. But then three years later, Ava DuVernay came out with the um, Oscar nominated documentary film, The 13th. And it focused on the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And, you know, through our research, we also found that the 13th Amendment, which says that slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except as punishment for crime. Um, we started finding that language in the uh, 50 state constitutions that we were looking at, including some of the U.S. held uh, territories or, or occupied um, islands, as we called them. Um, so, you know. I noticed the role through that research that banks and the financial institutions play 
and not only just funding private prison companies, but they are purchasing stock in these companies. Um, then they provide financial services for the uh, family members of the incarcerated to send money. I mean, it, it, it gets so it got so bad that one year I recall it might have been last year where some of our friends on the inside was was asking us to tell people to boycott JPay which is one of those services because of their exploitive uh, practices and, and what have you. And so I have to ask you, have you considered that as one of the ways banks are part of institutional racism with black and brown and indigenous people finding themselves disproportionately incarcerated? What are your thoughts on this not so obvious sector of, of banking or financial services? Look, I, I'm going to take it back to redlining. Uh, and we can go even back into history with the slavery, the, the emancipation and segregation, redlining. We can go through all of that. There are, the reality is the redlining of the 30s and 50s did something that uh, demoralized and, and took uh, many opportunities from minorities. For instance, education is something that is so important in our community. Of course, if you are deprived of education, if you are deprived of financial institutions and opportunities, if you are deprived of good jobs, if you are deprived of uh, the means to move ahead, then we are going to see that a lot of our people are going to fall in the cracks. And that is all part of the system that we need to put pressure on regulators to pass anti-discrimination laws. That's the only way that we can do. We already know the, the problems. We know the problems. Now it's a matter of solutions. We know that we don't have good health system. We know that a lot of our people are not getting this medical service that they should be getting. We know that there's a lot of flaws, especially in our community. Uh, they are based on the red lining and, and, and way back, even way back. But we need to make the changes right now. We need to make sure that there, there are laws anti-discriminatory. We, ha we need to do that. We also not need to make sure in, in terms of the banking industry, the algorithms take, uh, take part of the loan approval process. Uh, yes, it's not the only solution, but we need to start looking for all the solutions. We also need to uh, make sure that the banks are not, if they're not willing to fairly serve our communities, then we need to make sure that other alternative financial services are available as a part of the competitive market and as a tool for entrepreneurs to get credit, to, to get business off the ground. So, so yes, it's systematic. What's happening is systematic. But again, I, I, I have to emphasize we can only make changes by changing the law. That's how changes will take place, by putting pressure on the right places. Well, as we come to the end of this uh, broadcast, and 
This is a very deep subject. And of course, you know, with our limited time, we can't touch upon all of the issues, but definitely want to let you know the door is open for you to always come back on and and share what you have to share with us. Now, we've talked about some of the solution and what I kept hearing was putting pressure, putting pressure for a change of policies and, and laws, putting pressure. Um, what are some resources that you would recommend um, for people if they want to become more educated on the issues uh, um, that would inform the actions that they can take through the political arena and also non-political uh, means to apply pressure? Well, uh, look, what we're doing right now, again, is very important because we are bringing information that is, awakening people that is one of the first things that we can do another thing is people need to know who the senators are they need to know who is at a local level they need to get involved they need to vote they need to vote and they need to vote not just for promises but for actions yes ma'am yes ma'am voting is something i strongly believe in and there's a lot of skepticism out there but um, majority of us don't vote. If let's say 80% of eligible voters actually voted, who knows what kind of changes could, could come about, about, but the, a very small percentage of black and brown people actually vote. And you know, that's a whole nother show. But if you are eligible, you should register to vote and, and you should go to the polls. Um, I want to thank you, Wanda Silva, for joining us today here on Black Talk Radio News. And I want to wish uh, you and yours a good night. And please stay safe out there during this crazy time we're living in with this pandemic and all. Do you have any final comments for us? I want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to speaking with you today and to your audience. Uh, it has been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully this will help uh, enlighten some of your audiences and uh, to start thinking about being a active participant of their in the neighborhood. Uh, thank you very much and keep up with the good work. Thank you. You have a good evening. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of our program. Um, please, the podcast will be posted later. A lot of good information, I believe, was shared on this program, and it could help some people. So once the podcast is posted in about an hour and a half, please share it with others. And, you know, have these conversations with your family members. Have these conversations with your community because, you know, the more of us who band together to apply that pressure, I think, you know, the greater chances we will have that we will uh, achieve success in whatever our goals are. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Y'all stay safe out there.